0: This podcast is recorded in partnership with Mesente, the dedicated business messaging platform.
1: Welcome to the Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line. And now here are your hosts, award-winning influencer and pioneering author of seven books, Colin Shaw, and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. You can cynically look at this as fraudsters as a whole are kind of better at marketing and customer experience than <laughs> more legitimate.
0: They are. <laughs> That's a very good point.
2: From one side, marketing perspective looks good. From a legal and anti-fraud perspective, don't do it. So how do you find that balance point between those two? It's usually the teams hashing it out with sort of Comparatively, and usually companies lean towards towards security when they've been hit or their clients have been hit hard. And if they haven't, they don't think about it.
0: And I guess to a certain extent, you do that, don't you, with your credit card in the sense of that, you know, you can get your money back if there's been a problem and stuff like that. So it makes you wonder whether that becomes a barrier to entry for the smaller companies. Ryan, I was reading a really interesting stat the other day from a company called Statista, mm-hmm. who basically said that worldwide online fraud, guess how much?
1: I, I'm not sure what metric you want me to use. Uh, eight? Eight. <laughs> what, no. what percentage of transactions? Dollars are, are in dollars. How much is it oh, worth? How much is in dollars? A uh, trillion. A trillion?
0: No. You're, you're nearly there. It, well, we knew, you're not nearly there, to be totally honest with you. I don't know why I bother asking you the <laughs>
1: question, to be honest with you. I don't know why you bother asking me anything. I think that that's, that's your reward, is me not knowing, is what no, you get out
0: it of it. No, it isn't. It's just so I can say you don't know a statistic. Yeah. Anyway, the statistic is it's worth – it was uh, in 2022, it was $41 billion. yeah, And in 2023, it's going up to $48 billion.
1: Okay, Wow. That's a massive jump for you. You've convinced me, Colin. I'm getting into the fraud business. Uh, yeah, well, first,
0: yeah. Huge if growth it sounds, opportunity. It sounds a lucrative a lucrative business, So, but maybe I should be on the other side because um, today I've invited somebody onto the show to talk about, fraud and security and maybe we can actually start talking about
1: how we can prevent you
0: from your new uh, enterprise here maybe that would be a good <laughs> so I'll,
1: idea i'll take the pro fraud position and you <laughs> and our guests can take the con <laughs> fraud position yeah we'll have debate. absolutely
0: let's welcome onto the show uh uku tomokas welcome uku thank you for having me nice to be here Uku is the managing partner of a company called Macenta, and they're a dedicated um, machine messaging uh, platform, business messaging platform, should I say? I was chatting to Uku about fraud and security, and I suddenly thought, you know what? We've been doing this show for six years now, and I thought, you know what? We've never discussed this, and it's such a huge issue. Yeah. And I know that um, this is something that your your company does, uh, Uku. So uh, welcome to the show.
2: Yeah, thank you for having me. It's uh- especially over the past couple of years it's been something that we've kind of taken a focus on i think it's mainly since the start of covid when you know the amount of maybe digital transactions obviously from our portfolio as well you know if you work with a logistics company that sends out parcel notifications about when your courier comes or where it's in a parcel locker or whatever when you see that jump of transactions you also see a jump in fraud And then that put it on our radar. And that's why we've sort of ended up going down this rabbit hole over the past couple of years, ending up working with banks and banking associations and the authorities and Europol. And it has snowballed into a kind of a scary world, but simultaneously something where it just feels a little bit more meaningful to function in rather than just selling a SaaS platform in a way
0: it must be really fascinating thinking about it because you suddenly get to understand all the scams that are out there and things yeah. that maybe Ryan and I are sort of fairly naive and don't don't think about them blissfully
1: unaware i think
2: um, oh yeah and it's it's getting worse because i i guess one of the most interesting combinations for for nearly anyone that I talk to these days is that you take, of course, COVID makes sense, a lot of COVID-related scam, much more digital experiences in people's lives because of it. But the other next big thing in fraud is the use of AI. And the thing that in fraud has become such a big deal is that the quality of fraud keeps on getting better. When you got previous con emails or, or things like that, especially if you got them in, an, uh, in a different language as opposed to English most of the time, they would be completely erroneous in terms of grammar. Just basic grammar was wrong. And you could understand that this was a scam. That's gone now. Even in local languages, that's going out of there. They're starting to use personalization. They find your first name. It's They're using trigger points. They're understanding the human experience of making decisions based on communication, they're now utilizing that with the help of AI to make scams that much more effective. That's the scary thing for me, I think.
0: I agree with you. I mean, I'm very suspicious of everything that I I get through email. I'll tell you a quick funny story. I'm an influencer on LinkedIn and I got a message from LinkedIn to, to invite me to become an influencer. This was going back about 10 years. I nearly didn't reply because I thought it was a scam. <laughs> uh, but, <laughs> but I'm glad I did. Let's talk about this in, in more detail because I think this is really a really good topic and one that affects everybody personally and their businesses that they work for and you know the classic example is Lorraine my wife she was buying something the other day and then she got a a message through saying that she needed to verify something and she got she was starting to get very frustrated okay she's not very technically literate I love her to bits but not very technically literate long and short of it was she understands that organizations need to protect themselves and they need to protect her data etc But also balanced against that, she's got this sort of additional step that's now going in there. So I guess the really big picture question, which is I think is going to be is really important, is how do you balance that fraud and security against providing a good and easy customer experience?
2: Yeah, I guess that's the hardest, because from a business perspective, everyone would want to make the customer experience as simple and as easy to understand as possible. I mean, it, it is it is an obvious way to sort of look at it because the more the more actions a person needs to take, the less likely they are to actually reach the outcome. I mean, it's, it's quite simple. If you put a lot of hurdles in the way, you create more friction, the more friction you create, the less likely they are to actually go through that transaction. I mean, you wouldn't need things like abandoned cart notifications if purchases something online would be super easy. I mean, if you put stuff in your cart in the supermarket, it's a fairly rare occasion when you don't walk out with yeah, them later not, as well. That's a good, right? good point. So if you put a lot of sort of hurdles in the way, it's it's inevitably going to decrease the conversion. But at the same time, the the amount of fraud, both against businesses and against consumers, is, is constantly getting bigger and better. So you're going to need to find at least some sort of a good safeguard of balance between that. And now... SMS has been one of the kind of the lowest friction ways of doing that verification simply because it's 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 quite simple to understand in most cases there's it pops up on your screen and there's a number in there and you input that number into another place and that's it that's that's fine it's like two three steps it's it's fairly easy to understand low friction And that's kind of why the reason is that none of the other more secure options out there, like take even physical tokens for two-factor authentication, usually you log into your email with your username and password, and then usually you'll have another layer of security on top to avoid somebody taking over your account. Now, SMS is not the most secure means of doing that, yet most still use it because it's the easiest to use. So the issue has constantly been that there are a lot more secure ways to do it. But nothing that matches the customer experience and the simplicity and the ease of access for that customer experience. Until now, though, the big new thing on, on the block is Passkey. Passkey is essentially built by Microsoft, Google, and Apple together. So I guess it's probably one of the very few and far between things that the biggest competitors in terms of our digital hardware have. Collaborated in to make something better, right? So Pasky saying it simply is pretty much taking the same kind of customer experience you currently have with SMS, making it a press on your screen with your thumb. Right. And making it more secure.
0: That's it. Or I presume use using face ID or something like or that. Or
2: using yeah. face ID or using the fingerprint scanner on your computer. So just using a biometric touch point, but making it going from inputs to copy to inserting numbers and going from that to literally a thumb press.
1: For listeners who haven't heard of Passkey yet, this would be an an app that would exist on your your phone or your computer. And when you um, need to sign into something, it would want some kind of biometric verification, your face or your, your thumbprint in order to get that to pass. Is that, is that correct?
2: Yeah, exactly. And because it's built by Everybody pretty much who controls hardware, if you take Apple and, and Android, you're automatically controlling the entire mobile phone market. And if you add Microsoft to that as well, you're pretty much covering the entire hardware market. Then it's also going to be built into the systems themselves, which was the second hard part about building any sort of a better customer experience, because if it isn't built into the hardware or the platform itself from its inception, it's going to have a lot harder time getting traction you know, why authenticator apps are, you know, some use them, some use them. Nothing has the same penetration. That's why SMS has been so such a good thing to use because it's simple and it's built into the platform. If you have a phone, you can get an SMS. You don't need to do anything to get that SMS. Now they want to bring Passkey to that same level where you don't actually need to do anything extra in order to use that second level of verification, which would make it the next sort of big thing. And for the customers, it would mean a much easier and simpler way to get more security. So for Lorraine, it would mean, instead of her waiting for the text needing to insert inside of I me, mean, there will literally be a pop-up on the screen and she'll just need to put her thumb on there. That's it. Which would be easier to understand and easier to use than the current system.
0: Yeah, and, and obviously more secure because I, don't know, I I can't remember what the stat is, but the face ID and everything else is- uh, um, The stat is no. eight. Eight, yeah, yeah, we've established that. Or maybe we seven, just twenty. haven't understood, understood the metrics behind it. So it makes me think that is is there some type of formula that organizations use to make that balance between security and customer experience i'm sure the answer to this is no by the way (laughs) if i was a gambling man you can just imagine things as you were saying that you know that internally the organization's going bloody hell we're losing all this all this money on fraud and security we've got to clamp it down and somebody else going yeah but we need to sort of help improve our customer experience as well or have some view on that how are those organizations making those choices
2: I think it's a fight between the marketing team and the legal team? An everlasting battle between for, for supremacy in that question? I mean, I'll, I'll draw a very simple example that I've, I've drawn before as well that just highlights the issue between fraud and creating a more engaging customer experience. So you do a promotional message. You want to make your customer feel a little bit more special. So instead of using your usual URL, whatever is your company name, etc., you will do, use a subdomain with VIP and then your customer company name after that. So it'll show and indicate through the URL that the person receiving that promotion is special. They're amongst a they select group, they're more special, hence usually leading to more conversion. From a customer perspective and from a business perspective, this is a very good move. The customer feels a little bit more special, more engaged, more valued. The business in return gets more CR. On the flip side of this, whenever you add a permutation to that URL, to the main domain, you're opening yourself up to more fraud. Because now I can go out and you will, let's say, have vip.dhl.com, for example, hyphen vip slash vip, whatever dhl.com. Because now that's available, because now you've opened the door to a subdomain that I can start abusing and creating copies, very convincing copies of whatever you sent and do that to you. So now from one side, the customer experience gets better. And from the other side, you've just opened yourself up to a new angle of attack where people can mimic you that much more effectively. And as soon as you open up a permutation. You can immediately start opening up different permutations like package.dhl, courier.dhl, whatever else you want to bring in there. And we've done this with our logistics company clients. I've shown them on screen. Just go to any domain purchasing website and I can buy 20 abbreviations or 20 different types of permutations of what you use that look nearly identical bar one character from what you use. And no client is going to tell the difference between the validity of those two domains based on the URL. And if they can't tell by the URL and they click on it, they will then be taken to a website. That's also very convincing because it's been built quite easily these days and it's engaging and you input your data. And as soon as you input your data, your credit card is sort of running away from you. So again, from one side, marketing perspective looks good. From a legal and anti-fraud perspective, don't do it. So how do you find that balance point between those two? It's usually the teams hashing it out sort of comparatively. And usually companies lean towards towards security when they've been hit or their clients have been hit hard. And if they haven't, they don't think
1: about it.
0: Yeah. No, that's, a, that's an interesting way of looking at it, actually. Because I would imagine that if one of your competitors have been hit it or been in the papers, then I would imagine that they would start to clamp down on the security once they've done that.
2: Yeah. I mean, the best way to improve a company's you know security infrastructure is have a breach. <laughs> because Then immediately you'll start working on making it better because then everyone will ask you, you had this breach, what have you done to make it better? But at the same time, there are probably 20 companies at the same time that have also had breaches. You just didn't either know about it or it wasn't big enough to shout about it. But the security flaws are there. I mean, one of the scariest things I've now seen as a new form of scam that's kind of sort of like next level and shows the intelligence of scammers and how it progressively is is getting better as well, is that seemingly, and this isn't verified, but seemingly, and I like this story, is that when you make a purchase at a website, especially if it's, let's say some e-commerce platform or some store that's smaller. So they run their own website, but they're not going to put in every latest security plugin because those things cost money. So they're going to probably have some holes within the system. But, you know, the watch you wanted or the bag you wanted to buy is 20% cheaper on that website. So you're going to buy it from that website. Now, what we've seen is that websites like that, when you make a purchase there, you then have it picked up with a courier or delivered to you uh, to a parcel lock or whatever when you choose that about half an hour maybe an hour later you will get a notification from that logistics brand and that will be scam. so they will tie it to your purchase So they've obviously found some way to breach that e-commerce platform, understand when that trigger point happens, and then connected that trigger point to that scam to make it that much more believable once it actually hits you. Because you remember an hour ago from this platform, I made a purchase with this courier and now this courier is asking me to do this. Maybe I forgot about something, especially if you put in like, hey, you haven't paid your two euro shipping fee that the um, provider forgot to charge you. And then you go, oh, yeah, I knew that wasn't free shipping, especially if like, it had free shipping, but then it turns out it isn't. It's like I knew they were scamming me. But you then go, fine, I'll pay my €2. Euros, and you go on that website, and instead of losing your €2, Euros, you lose your credit card details, and you get scammed.
0: Yeah. That That's kind of where of, this develops. Yeah, it, it makes me wonder whether it sort of starts to become a differentiator. So let, let me give you what I was thinking. I've been surprised recently how a number of um, people I know have bought something on Facebook and then they've never received whatever it is. I've then gone, I'm never buying anything on that. And I say to the family, don't buy anything on Facebook. Yeah, But it makes you wonder whether you then start to say, well, actually, the reason I'm going to just buy from Amazon or wherever it may be is because I know they've got good fraud security etc and i guess to a certain extent you do that don't you with your credit card in the sense of that you know you can get your money back if there's been a problem and stuff like that so it makes you wonder whether that becomes a barrier to entry for the smaller
1: companies that's not hypothetical colin i i'm uncomfortable with the amount of market power amazon has and so would prefer to buy from other places, but I keep going back to Amazon in part because I don't trust smaller providers because yeah. I don't know enough about them. And so, yeah, I, 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 see this as being kind of a big structural problem as we continue to grow in e-commerce.
2: I mean, it's the same thing. If you want to buy a phone, you're not going to buy anything besides maybe the top three, four most known brands because anything else is risky even though it might be exactly the same, it's probably built in the factory next door to the one where the Samsung comes from, but it doesn't matter because it's, you're sort of trusting the brands that much more.
0: Yeah. Here is Anna talking on the show.
1: Hi Colin and Ryan. I'm in a pickle. How do you operationalize your journey mapping? We don't want CX to become some fluffy thing that is not practical enough. Therefore, we
2: want practical steps on how to get started the right way. Thank you.
1: Anna's pickle was wonderful. Would you like to appear on the show just like Anna did? If you want to record your pickle, go to beyondphilosophy.com backslash pickle and look for the big red record button. We'd love to hear from you too. how does this sort of start
0: to manifest itself then with ai because obviously this year's been massive on ai i always remember one of the the key issues that people have been talking about and the big threats rather than armageddon and you know skynet and all the rest of it is the sophistication of the bad actors so to what you were saying at the top of the show, which is, we all get them through, don't we, you know, messages, et cetera. And you go, yeah, that looks a scam. Or even if you have a policy of not replying to anything, basically, you start to go with AI, it's going to be even more sophisticated, isn't it? Where, where, do, where do you, in your view, do you think that ends up?
2: I think it's going to get worse, especially from the perspective of how it's currently being used. So the way we've understood it currently being used is to automate and create volume where previously you needed manual input. This is domain purchases. This is the gathering of information. I mean, asking JetGPT about, tell me where every European country, when do they do their tax returns? Because everybody does it in a different month, different timescale, different weeks, whatever. But now those are being used as trigger points to trigger... From the tax authority text messages on behalf of the tax authority's name, which is a very effective scam again. So doing that with via Googling is much more difficult than asking JetGPT to do that. And then creating the automation behind that during these times, build that. During these times, do that. Give me a tax return text in 40 different languages in Europe, whatever. You can start automating all of these sequences and the iterations of these different variations upon fraud with AI that much more effectively and automating tasks that would usually take more time, like domain name purchases. If you have the right tool set, you can use AI purchase me this set with this abbreviations, this permutations, buy me this, buy me this, buy me this, buy me this. The reason why we know this is happening is that when we see one type of scam going through, it never goes into one country or in one language. The same sort of parameters get immediately applied with national variances to 10, 12 countries simultaneously. So this is a big blast and you don't do that manually. You need to have that sophistication behind that to create the variance, the personalization in it, as well as have all of the right triggers, the right domains, et cetera, to do that.
0: And I guess at the end of the day, all the things that we've been talking about, Ryan, about AI, the segmentation, the identification of the patterns, the way that you can personalize it just from a sort of a normal business context, you can just apply
1: that to fraud. One thing that that strikes me about this whole conversation is you can cynically look at this as fraudsters as a whole. Are kind of better at marketing and customer experience than
2: <laughs> they are. No, I, 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 <laughs> That's you a know, very good point. <laughs> I, honest to God, I have actually said this in multiple different like shows that we've done ourselves. Marketers need to learn from scammers because they're way better at it. Like they will have personalized URLs with your first name in it. They know how you <laughs> sort of are willing to partake with your money. They know it better than marketers do, and they're so much more effective at it most of the time.
1: I, I walked into this conversation assuming that you know we would conclude with people committing the fraud are better at understanding people in many cases than the engineers designing solutions. That fraudsters make it super easy, and and you know if you're if you're technically oriented, you want a technical solution. I expected that. I was not expecting to, to learn that they were better at marketing. Uh, better at customer experience that, yeah, I'm convincing. I'm increasingly convinced that that is also true.
2: I mean, the reason they're getting better is quite obvious as well, because if you think about it, the main challenge for marketers is to convince you to give me your money. But the main challenge for scammers is first make it believable that I want to be a business that legitimately takes your money and then take your money. So they have to bid in double the effort to get the same outcome as marketers get. So their challenges are higher and maybe they're because of that much more ingenious in a way.
0: Yeah, no, that's a really good point. I never really thought about that, but you're absolutely right. Because some of the stuff that we talk about is just the sort of the level of detail that you should be going down into with a customer experience and just the little minor things that you you don't think has an effect, but they, you know, small things that have an effect, but you don't, wouldn't think would have an effect, but have a massive effect on your experience. And clearly, the scammers have got to go into that in spades because the first thing, as you just said, Uki, is they just don't want to be found out. They got to, they got to overcome the thing of going, I'm dealing with the right, the right person, let alone anything else. Ryan, I've just thought, mate, maybe we should do a show like this for fraudsters. There's a whole market.
1: A new career path, (laughs) like I'm, I'm all on board for that. So you're welcome to come along too if you want to.
0: Yeah, there's a there's a whole market. Quick
2: heads up though: eighty percent of scam is done by twenty percent of uh, multinational prime organizations. So you are walking into competition. Let's put it that way. <laughs> if you're getting in there and i mean they're not going to hit you with lawsuits just you know putting yeah. it out right there be careful if you're going down this route
1: something else to consider yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah yeah as we're in the states maybe we should actually start to join a gun club and maybe that would help us in yeah. in our defense strategy and stuff that yeah, for sure. for <laughs> <sure>. <laughs> okay so let's let's try and get a bit practical what um so you know this is all really interesting things, but you know if if you were listening to this Uku, um, you know what practical advice would you give somebody? what can they do tomorrow over the next you know six months of what they should be doing to to help get this balance between fraud and security and customer experience
2: I mean two angles. It depends on which you want. Do you want me to tell you what businesses can do or do you want to tell me want me to tell you what consumers can do? Because both are, I guess, valid points.
0: Yeah, let's mainly focus around the business side. Obviously, everybody's a, a consumer, but what should a business be doing?
2: I, I guess the most important thing is first understanding your entire customer communication and understanding that it is a whole. One of the most common things we see is that you will have department dealing with late payments has one policy, marketing team has another policy, transactional team has another, everybody has their own policy about how they communicate. And what happens is that there is no singular pattern or singular brand value that exists. Take Apple, for example, when you get an Apple computer or an Apple phone, you know, it's an Apple. It's not hard for you to determine that this is a real thing. It's hard for you to fall prey to fraud with apple because they're quite easily discernible as the genuine thing your customer communication should be the same thing it should always feel as a united whole so from a text messaging perspective you wouldn't have your notifications and your invoices and your marketing team all using different sender sender names to send out messages different urls different context even different brand voice For the same thing, it should always be homogenous, it should be unified, because it will create a homogenous branded experience. And then people start to trust that anything within that brand experience is real. And it's also much hard to mask the right tone of voice, the right approach, the right trigger points when you're a fraudster, if it's all a singular package. When it's disjointed, it's much easier to then pick and choose whatever piece you want to throw in or add additional pieces that people didn't expect but kind of makes sense because everything's disjointed anyway. So that's the first thing as a business, look at your entire communication portfolio, make it homogenous, make sure that your brand voice is everywhere simultaneously in the same way, make sure that the structure is the same, the messaging is clean, you use the same URLs, for example, just to make everyone understand that yes, this type of communication is from my business and anything that is outside of that isn't from my business. And that makes it easier. That's the easiest way to differentiate yourself from the scammers as well. Just just being consistent with a singular brand messaging. And the other thing is, of course, education. If you're going to use some forms of specific types of information that you're going to be sharing, communication points, put it out there for the clients and the customers as well. Show them that these are the types of messages I will send. HSBC UK, for example, has a website where you have the exact templates that are going to be the messages that they will send. And then examples of what they would never send. And then you kind of know when you sign up, you go there, you get a prompt. This is the type of stuff we do. This is what we don't do. So the consistent education about what the client can expect and can't expect is the other big part of that. Keep it within one singular brand voice and then complement that with showing what it is and what it isn't that usually has the best impact in terms of that as well. And then within that, you can play with more security provisions, et cetera, et cetera, depending on your use cases. But as long as the fundamentals are there, you have much more leniency in terms of understanding, okay, so where do I need to add another layer and where I don't simply because my customer already knows that with, even without that layer, they're not going to fall prey.
0: Good point. Good point. It's funny how... The whole bit about siloed organizations, the lack of communication between them comes up in every single context (laughs) of what you ever discuss, basically.
1: Ryan, your thoughts? I really like this emphasis on the the human element. Uh, So often we look at problems like this as if they are software problems or process problems. Usually they're human problems. I, I laugh at the depictions of hacking in movies where somebody will throw a laptop at a computer expert and say, you've got 60 seconds to get into the NSA. And so <laughs> the image that we have of hacking and fraud in our, our popular culture is typing really fast on a laptop. Like that's how you yeah. have And the reality is I understand it is it's usually just people messing up. Um, and it's, it's much more about tricking people. So my advice would be as you're having these security conversations Have someone from customer insights and someone from marketing and someone from customer experience in the room. Have people in there who understand people. Obviously, you need to lead with the technology. That's what's available. But if somebody could be in the room and say, that's actually not the way our customers tend to interact with our whatever. To have those people in there so that together we can create a solution that works technologically in a way that people will actually use it. The other thing that I would recommend is making kind of the way that you train your customers or educate your customers also experiential. I remember many years ago getting an email from my employer that had some, I can't remember the context, but it had some information and I, I clicked on it to go and it flashed me a warning and said, this was actually a fake phishing scam. Like we set it up to like test you and you failed the test. And it was very embarrassing for me. Um, I like to think of myself as a very cautious person. And that one experience of seeing how vulnerable I was when I didn't pay attention was a years long lesson. It changed my behavior more than any number of trainings or any number of emails or posters warning me about the dangers. So it may not be practical for you to do the same thing to your customers. You, you need to think about that. But if you can make that training experiential in some way, I think it'll, it'll help. It'll, it'll be more informative than kind of a more dry clinical approach to training.
0: Yeah, and uh, I, I, again, totally, totally agree. I think the only thing I'm going to add is this subject is just going to become more and more important as the next few years roll out. And it's with the age of AI upon us, it's just going to become even more important. I love the concept of they're better at customer experience than most organizations because I think that's a really good insight because they they are. The other thing is it gives us another opportunity for a show, Ryan. So maybe, maybe hey, there you go. that
1: yeah. for just the show, looking I mean, for content. Is, um, yeah, is absolutely.
0: Yeah. <laughs> they're probably listening to this show, though. <laughs> <laughs> already. You know what is our biggest audience?
1: <laughs> <laughs> International crime syndicates. Thanks for listening, guys. <laughs>
0: yeah. Now they're going, oh, uh, no, no. To- I wondered what that car was parked That's outside right. with some, some outside my house with some guys looking very shady. Yeah, there you go. Anyway, so Uku, if people want to get a
2: hold of you, how do they do that? The simplest way to reach me is is if you ever have any questions about fraud or or anything we've talked about today, just find me on LinkedIn. First name, last name, as it is in the show description as well, and very, very active there as well. I post content daily about these types of topics. You know, less about what we do and more about educating people exactly specifically on these types of things. And of course the other thing is if you ever want to do business messaging, mesenta.com, sign up, get in touch, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera.
0: Yeah, and we'll obviously put all of the links in the in the show notes below. Please do check out some um, uku he, he really does does some interesting uh, posts and as i said this this is going to become even more important as as time goes on we need to have some people with some um, and know what they're talking about thank you uku for coming on the on the show today and we look forward to talking to you next week okay thanks very much everybody bye-bye thanks very much for listening to the show today we really hope you've enjoyed it and if you have it will be really great if you could leave us a review.